Hello, this is the Africa Climate Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Sophie Mbogwa. We continue with the restoration of the African Dryland Series, a six-part series on the Global Landscape Forum, Africa Digital Conference, led by the Center for the International Forestry Research, CIFO, and the World Agroforestry Center, ACROF, in collaboration with its co-founders, UNEP, the World Bank, and the Charter members. Now, tomorrow, the 2nd of June, the Global Landscape Forum Africa 2021 kicks off. The digital conference dubbed Restoring Africans Dryland, Accelerating Action on the Ground, will be 2021's only conference on dryland restoration. Now, the conference will play an essential role in identifying knowledge gaps while seeking solutions to the challenging issues facing drylands and the people that live in them particularly the severe threats posed by climate change, violence, the coronavirus pandemic, land degradation, and livelihood collapse. Here at the Africa Climate Conversations podcast, we sought to understand what drylands means to different actors on the ground working every day to restore and protect the African drylands. My name is Mika Borna-Chiang, and I'm the Program Manager of Regreening Africa, and I also lead stakeholder engagement with evidence at World Agroforestry here in Nairobi, Kenya. African drylands for me represent diversity, innovation, vibrancy, as well as a large opportunity for landscape restoration. They are also where I live. I am Mary Jenga, a bioenergy research scientist at World Agroforestry, ICRAF and based in Nairobi, Kenya. African dry rats mean a lot to me and also to communities living there, to other people, government, and the world for many reasons. One, dry rats are sources of biomass energy, mainly wood charcoal. They are also the main landscapes for livestock production. Dry rats are key radscapes for conservation and supporting tourism. So my name is uh, Agnes Kalibata. I'm the president of the Alliance for Green Revolution in Africa, Agra, based out of Nairobi. So African drylands are home to a large portion of the continent's population. Um, they host 43% of the land that is being used in agriculture. A lot of the work that is happening from a pastoral perspective, semi-pastoral perspective, and, and a lot of primary agricultural production is actually happening in African drylands. So but these drylands are, are increasingly becoming fragile. Uh, we, we see uh, the fact that they are extremely affected by climate change. Um, the population uh, that is living under these drylands, uh, a significant percent lives in poverty because of that. And because of climate change, we are seeing increasing biodiversity loss uh, coming from the activities, the, the activities, of course, that are in these places, but also coming from climate change itself. So it's an area that is extremely important for the continent, but is definitely highly constrained uh, because of uh, human activity, but also because of climate change. My name is Chris Dickens. I'm from the International Water Management Institute based in Sri Lanka, but I've spent most of my life in South Africa, so I'm very African at heart. 
So what do African drylands mean to me? You know, these are iconic landscapes of Africa, the typical African plain with its dry lands and African animals is, is really very characteristic of Africa. But these lands are supporting a growing population of people who are increasingly vulnerable because these ecosystems are somewhat fragile and, and cannot support large numbers of people. So they need to be well managed. My name is Patti Jing from the Gambia. I am the founder of Clean Up Gambia, a youth-led NGO working towards environmental sustainability and climate action through awareness creation, conservative efforts. African drylands have been experiencing land degradation, which has been intensified by the growing desertification. Africa is the driest of all the continents in the world, with 45% of our landmass falling on the drylands, according to the World Forestry Congress. As such, climate-related shocks and stresses such as droughts and climate change variations continue to affect poor and vulnerable communities such as women and young people. Therefore, I believe we need to invest in the restoration of our local resources and our biodiversity, as well as to increase our resilience to the growing climate change problems and as well as food insecurity. Now, African drylands are home to more than half a billion people. Restoration of these drylands is vital for the people often threatened by drought, loss of livelihood, hunger and migration. Bond says that a greening Africa by the world agroforestry has been working to reverse land degradation among half a million households across one million hectares in eight sub-Saharan countries, among them Ethiopia, Ghana, Kenya, Mali, Niger, Rwanda, Senegal and Somalia. Regreening Africa is an ambitious European Union-funded initiative that aims to reverse land degradation over a million hectares of land across eight countries in sub-Saharan Africa, which are Ethiopia, Kenya, Rwanda, Somalia, Senegal, Niger, Mali and Ghana, and to benefit 500,000 households. Through integrating trees into crop, pastoral and communal lands, along with complementary restoration practices, for example, soil and water conservation, which must be adapted to the local context and needs, we are able to restore degraded ecosystems in Africa, which in turn can support livelihoods and reduce the impacts of climate change. Regreening Africa is managed by World Agroforestry, also called ECRAF, in partnership with five international non-governmental organisations which are World Vision, Oxfam, Care International, Catholic Release Service, and Sahel Echo. Now, Regreening Africa is a very innovative project because of the way we implement, but also because we're integrating research in development. By that, we mean that we're collecting robust monitoring data, as well as information on species, practices, value chains, land health, livelihoods, trainings, return on investment, reach, uptake, as well as NGO and community reflections and feedback. But all of this evidence is integrated into the planning and implementation process. This is done through structured stakeholder engagement using the shared approach, and it really ensures that we're able to adaptively manage the project and improve our implementation. We're also able to take this information, this evidence, to inform wider policy 
and future investments, and with the hope of supporting an enabling environment at the local level and looking at governance structures. Temperatures have been rising 1.5 times faster in the Sahel than in the rest of the world. This has resulted in alternating extremes of droughts and floods that displaces communities and reduce agricultural yields. The Sahel refers to a belt of land stretching about 6,000 kilometers across North Africa from the Atlantic Ocean to the Red Sea. It touches on 14 countries, the Gambia being one of them. What has Fatou, a youth activist in the Gambia, been doing to restore drylands in the Gambia? As an NGO which is focused on awareness, capacity building, as well as with women farmers, we have been working with partners in planting trees across the country, especially um, in Banjul. Because Banjul is a city that is vulnerable to sea level rise. And during the summer, we work with our local partners that is future proof in planting 5,000 coconut trees. Moreover, we have also been embarking on series of capacity building programs with school students and local communities, as well as young people to get them aware and be educated about the growing climate crisis that we face and how we can all take part and play our role in mitigating and adapting to the crisis. Also, we have been working with women farmers because we all understand that women uh, are the most vulnerable groups to the problems that we face in Africa, especially with environmental problems. So to ensure that there is proper adaptation um, to the climate crisis, we have been working with them to ensure that we play our part in accelerating and protecting our vulnerable communities in the face of the climate and environmental adversities. For centuries, charcoal has been an essential source of energy. According to the UN Food and Agriculture Organization, Sub-Saharan Africa accounts for 62% of global charcoal production, but for ages, it has been blamed for land degradation and deforestation. Bajenga has been working with the Kenyan community to harvest twigs, tree stems and shrubs in a rotational, sustainable way, burning them under limited oxygen to make charcoal briquettes. This is Jenga on how this has been protecting these drylands. To accelerate protection and restoration of drylands, I am working on solutions and innovations for sustainable biomass energy. One example of my work on sustainable bioenergy is where I am collaborating with Wildlife Works and the National Museums of Kenya on bioenergy circular economy at Kisigau Conservation Corridor in Taita, Kenya. Kisigau Conservation Corridor covers about 200,000 hectares and is also at a Red Plus project. In the bioenergy circular economy work at Kasigau Conservation Corridor, we are harvesting twigs and stems of trees and shrubs in a rotational manner in blocks of one hectare. Secondary, we are carbonizing or burning the twigs at the limited oxygen in more efficient kilns. Thirdly, 
we are using the, the charcoal for briquette production. Charcoal briquettes are used for cooking and heating space, just like charcoal and firewood. Making charcoal briquettes from sustainably produced wood biomass ensures that conservation of wildlife in the dry rats is integrated with production of biomass energy. In this project, we are also measuring the impacts of this bioenergy system on plants, birds, butterflies, and climate change. As global temperatures rise and impact food production within drylands, Kalibata told the Africa Climate Conversations that the Alliance for Green Revolution in Africa has been working with farmers in the drylands to ensure they secure suitable seeds. In terms of restoration, there are quite a number of players that have different roles to play. From an, an institution perspective as Agra, we, we take on, uh, probably we've taken on three areas as ways of supporting communities in, in these environments. Uh, number one, we do recognize that these communities need access uh, to some form of security in terms of how they grow crops. So we, we focus a lot on trying to ensure that they have access to knowledge, agronomic practices that can help them uh, really be able to manage the environment they are living with. So we, we are now promoting what we call village-based advisors, and we equip, we equip them with knowledge around how supporting farmers to manage in this type of, of agroecosystems. We also, uh, uh, as an institution that promotes access to improved varieties, we try to make sure that we are link, making a link uh, to varieties that have drought resistance and have the ability to ensure that these farmers can get yields. We are seeing increasing uh, losses, yield losses as a result of climate change, sometimes up to 50%. And for these farmers, sometimes this means losing everything. So ensuring that they have the right access to yield um, through securing the type of varieties they are using is something that we are looking at a lot. Then the last thing is, um, um, we make sure that they are linked to markets and um, we, we are also trying to make sure that we do a number of these things in, in a way that also recognizes the environment they are working in. For example, in Kenya here, we have work in the Kakamega area that recognizes really that if, we, if farmers don't produce enough, they will be tempted to um, use the forests that are nearby. So we try to help them really focus on using less using less land and producing more with less land while protecting the rest of the environment and getting benefits from protecting the environment they are working with. So those are some of the things that I can call out, but definitely going forward, uh, focusing on how farmers produce more with less uh, while uh, really in, in enhancing ecosystem functions around water, around uh, forests, around trees, around plants, is going and biodiversity is going to be increasingly important. Water systems are critical, not just for farming, but also for industrial production, energy, tourism, transport, among many things. Deacon says the Limpopo floodplains in South Africa has been threatened due to obstruction of water upstream. What has the International Water Management Institute been doing to protect these floodplains? Here is Dickens. The first thing is we're working on determination of 
e-flows or environmental flows. That's the amount of water that you need to keep in rivers so that you keep the river alive so that people's livelihoods are sustained by that river. So you keep the ecosystem alive for the sake of people's livelihoods. And we're doing this, or well, we've just completed this, in the Inner Niger Delta in Mali in North Africa, a huge floodplain in a very dry environment that has quite a big flow of water coming from the highlands, but much of the water evaporates in the floodplain. And then also we're doing it in the Limpopo Basin in Southern Africa, across four countries. Um, I'm also working on setting targets for the management of natural resources in Africa. I'd like to explain what we're actually doing in North Africa and in Southern Africa in the Limpopo. So firstly, in, in Mali and North, North Africa, you know, this is a large floodplain of 30,000 square kilometers with one and a half million people who live in there who are completely dependent on the annual flood of water that arrives and floods onto the floodplain. But there are lots of plans to dam the water upstream and take the water out for rice irrigation. So the floodplain is under threat. The people, their livelihoods are really under threat. And already there's overutilization of the natural resources so that the whole ecosystem is in a, is in a very threatened state. So it was um, the, embassy, the Dutch embassy, actually, who came up with the funding through Wetlands International, and so we have worked out the environmental flows or the amount of water that you need to flood onto the floodplain to keep it alive. We've worked out those quantities and now the, the um, basin authority is going to build those flow regimes of water into their management plans so that they know that even if they build dams, as long as they can provide that amount of water, then the floodplain will be sustained, both the ecosystem and the people. Similar thing in the Limpopo in Southern Africa, and we chose the basin. It's being funded by USAID. We chose the basin because it's highly stressed, um, but also it was, it was a requirement of USAID. And although it's not a floodplain, the same principles apply that the Limpopo River used to be a, a perennial river, and now large parts of it already have stopped flowing for parts of the year. And the people and the natural resources are under, are under stress. And so we're working out the environmental flows. How much water do they need to keep in the river to keep the river alive so that the people who need the river have something available to them? As the GLF Africa 2021 conference opens tomorrow, we posed the question why this conference is critical for drylands at this particular time. And this is what Bon, Fatu, Kalibata, Dickens and Jenga had to say. GLF Africa 2021 is very important as it brings together the stories, evidence and experiences to not only change the narrative about the African drylands, but also to support and spur greater investment, implementation and policy change. This digital conference will bring together people to showcase not only what is possible, but also what more needs to be done. So my message as we go into this digital conference is let us remember that the African drylands will be restored primarily by the men, women and youth that live in the drylands and who manage these lands. 
the rest of us must be there to support their needs in terms of capacity, evidence, creating an enabling environment for investment, for value chains, and in terms of policy and local governance. We must all work together to support the restoration of the drylands of Africa. As a young person that I've been working with, communities from across all level, I believe that the GLF Africa Summit is very, very crucial in ensuring that we continue to talk about the pressing issue that we face as a continent that is very vulnerable to the climate change crisis as well as desertification. I believe this summit will ensure that we bring our collective efforts in ensuring that we all play a collective role in addressing the problem that the continent faces. This GLF will be a platform where we can share best practices as well as make commitments as well as ensure that the things that will be discussed will be shared with relevant stakeholders, especially with the policymakers and as well as vulnerable communities to know that Africa's position and Africa's vulnerability so that we can ensure that there is more action taken because we believe that this is a decade of action and Africa, a continent that is very, very susceptible to, susceptible to the problems that we face in terms of our environment, the GLF will be a very crucial platform to discuss, to brainstorm, to provide solution, recommendation, as well as ensure that these things will be shared with relevant stakeholders and they will be implemented effectively across different levels. It's very important for Africa because um, I just told you how drylands are very critical, a, a very critical ecosystem for a big part, a big part of the African population, especially the, the pastoral community. The pastoralist community lives in, in these drylands. Um, and it's also very important to recognize the type of biodiversity that we have in, in these drylands. We don't want to lose either. We don't lose the, want to lose the capacity to have communities um, get benefits from, from these drylands, but we also don't want to lose the drylands themselves uh, because of what, what's going on. So we really need to find ways of enhancing their capacity to support the communities that use them. Um, by trying to find ways of diversifying livelihoods for these communities, providing social safety nets, ensuring there are other, other ways of getting a livelihood, including maybe even uh, things like tourism, engaging young people in uh, other productive mechanisms and systems that, that can, can help um, ensure that, um, that we are infusing new knowledge in these areas. And then we really want to make sure that we are reversing the decline that is happening in these areas. This, many of these areas are really characterized by decline in the last um, number of years. And, but this is reversible. This is not something that is not reversible. It's reversible. But the communities will need, uh, will need help. And I would say, you know, using this type of getting together like we are in, in the meetings that is upcoming to create platforms that do understand the the challenges that these communities are living with, but also do see the opportunity to enhance and superimpose uh, good business opportunities, uh, good um, investments, but also a good support system to these communities would be one way, uh, would be a way of ensuring that we don't lose them and we don't um, lose the communities that are, are working with them. This conference is key at this time in order to focus attention 
on what is happening with dry lands in Africa and to try and galvanize support for their conscious management. That would be really useful. Society really needs to get into the custom of setting boundaries for natural resources that it simply will not cross. At a global level, these are called planetary boundaries, and they're nothing to do with politics. It's purely biophysical. And if you run out of this, then society is going to have a really hard time. And you can have that for a number of different resources, much more comprehensive than the planetary boundaries. You can go down into a lot of detail, the quality of the river water, the quantity of water, the condition of the vegetation, and so on. These can all have be quantitatively ascribed with targets or boundaries that should not be transgressed. And it's up to governments and regional authorities to manage these. The GLF, Africa 2021, is key. And it's key in that it brings the value of dry rats in the global debate. GLF Africa 2021 helps in sharing information on existing evidence-based solutions for accelerating the protection and restoration of the dry rats in Africa. My specific message in this GLF Africa 2021 is that Evidence-based solutions exist for production of sustainable biomass energy that enhances protection and restoration of dry rats in Africa. My specific message in lead up to the GLF Africa Summit is that we can't do it alone. Youth activists are trying our efforts, youth organizations who are doing our efforts in ensuring that we work with stakeholders on the ground in creating awareness in trying to address the climate pro pro problems that we are facing. But we need to ensure that we have more collective efforts. We need to ensure, especially our policymakers and our leaders, to implement the climate policies, the climate promises, and the pledges that we make. We need to ensure that we work with all stakeholders to ensure that there is more effort in terms of climate action. Because this is a decade of action. This is a period where we need to ensure that we protect all communities, especially the younger ones and um, women, as well as other local and vulnerable communities. So I believe the GLF is going to be a platform where we can talk about all these things and ensure that we take more collaborative effort. We need and ensure that we protect Africa's dry land. We also accelerate the protection and the restoration of Africa's dry land. We work on the desertification problems that we are facing, and we also take action towards the climate climate crisis and the climate problems that we continue to face. And we need to ensure that we owe this to the generation here and the generation unborn. So we need to invest in climate financing. We need to ensure that this financing that we're going to invest in will ensure that there's more protected communities and there is going to be more adaptation and effective mitigation to the problems that we continue to face 
as Africa. Absolutely. And I'm hoping that you have registered for the conference already. The registration details is available on our website, www.africaclimateconversations.com. Africa Climate Conversation will be in attendance and we will update you next week on what was achieved and the way forward for these fragile ecosystems. But remember, this podcast is available on Spotify, Google, Apple, our website, and every other channel you access your podcast from. We are also delighted to hear from you through info at africaclimateconversations.com. Remember, the Restorations of the African Dryland series is a six-part series on the Global Landscape Forum Africa Digital Conference, led by the Center for the International Forestry Research, CIFO, and the World Agroforestry Center, ICRAF, in collaboration with its co-founders, UNEP, the World Bank, and charter members. I wish you a lovely week ahead. Until next week on Tuesday, Kwaheri, my name is Sophie Mbogo.